Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week, my co-host, Will Nevin, the clown prince of podcasting, and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. So, Will, how's it going? It's going pretty good. I got, I got two things tonight. I got a complaint and a question. And my complaint is most germane to this podcast. So the first volume of the collection of uh, Minch and Jones on Batman is not available digitally for whatever reason. So I'm like, fine. I, I have uh, in the new house, I have this big room for library uh, for a library. So I've got a bunch of bookshelves and comic books in there. Fine. I'll get, I'll get the print copy. Print copy? Dad gum out of print and can't find it anywhere. And I am ashamed to admit that I paid way too much for it on eBay. And that just got in today. And I'm, I'm a little perturbed that uh, it was so damn expensive, but now it's mine. So that's my complaint. My question has nothing to do at all with this podcast. I've been listening to a new band called uh, Against Brass. And what this band is, is they gently cover late 90s alt-rock songs. So it's like Rage Against the Machine, uh, Tool, Soundgarden, Audio Slave, everything in kind of that genre. The only reason I learned about Against Brass is because they've, uh, they found themselves in a little bit of a controversy. At a show in Florida, the lead singer of Against Brass, which is, again, is not like crazy insane music it's more or less mainstream the lead singer calls uh, a guy up on stage and she pee-pees on his face and i don't understand anything about that like it's not some kind of like insane punk music it's just gentle ska covers of like bulls on parade that's like a bulls on parade but with horns and i i understand nothing about that nothing no, a... <laughs> no, uh, you, you can't see my face, people out there in Radio Land, but I am looking particularly perplexed and just thinking about that Batman Judge Dredd we read a few weeks ago and thinking, you know, that, that that's sort of, okay, that's the kind of thing you'd expect with that kind of concert. Yeah. Be funny. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, like, a, you know, like I said, late 90s rock with some ska horns like it's not it's not insane and yet that show in florida was absolutely insane don't go search for that band on twitter unless you want to see what happened (laughs) anyway anyway i'm doing just fine matt doing fine great so before we get into the meat of the show we've got another patreon backer to thank Uh, so let's thank joshua wheel podcaster over at x's for podcasts for his support thank you joshua uh thank you joshua you know if you want to get thanked up here folks just go on over to patreon and look up bat chat with matt and will back us you'll get thanks you'll get other stuff episodes drop a day early on patreon and we're gonna have some bonus content coming up there very soon and I believe Joshua backed us at the ultra premium level, which means eventually one day he'll be a guest here on the show. Indeed he shall. We're excited. Uh, remind me of the ultra premium, uh, Robin. Grayson. Grayson. Of course. The first yes. Robin. 
while the Patreon, by the time this has dropped, has been up for a little while, we haven't actually fully discussed it on the show. So let's just take a minute at the beginning. Let's do it. Let's do it. Go over the four tiers of the Patreon. Patri- level one, the base level, is Damian Wayne. The shittiest, Robin. Ergo, the shittiest tier. But thank you anyway. Yes. At Damien, which is a dollar a month, you get shouted out on the show and early access to episodes, at least a day early. I'm shooting for two days early in general, but still getting caught up on that. So it was a day early this week. Level two, the Tim Drake level, which, you know, my favorite, Robin, is everything from the Damian Wayne level, plus bonus content. We'll be doing at least one bonus podcast a month talking about some piece of Batman media that isn't comics. Might be animation, it might be prose, it might be who knows we're gonna just you know look at other batman stuff tell the good people about our first bonus episode that we will eventually record here soon our first bonus episode will be the animated adaptation of gotham by gaslight so we will see if will likes the animated version more than he liked the comic version and i bet i will i'm also hoping to get up monthly some additional reviews of new bat comics that we don't cover on the normal comics xf friday bat chat and maybe the occasional essay from one of us or one of our co-conspirators next level up that i don't i probably should have said that if i didn't that's the five dollar a level month uh five dollar a month level (laughs) fix it in post yeah exactly or maybe not because it was funny uh (laughs) ten dollars a month now you're at the jason todd tier at the jason todd tier we'll show up at your house and beat you with a crowbar (laughs) possible if that's your kink we're all we're all for it but if that's not your thing you get to pick a story that we will base an episode around you'll get to pick that central story and we might discuss with you you know some of the other stories you might want to do or maybe if you're like hey i just want an episode about kite man you just give us a theme hell yeah we will go and we will find three kite man stories or you can say you know my favorite batman story is the last arkham from shadow of the bat numbers one to four i'll look at that and like okay we can do three grant and brayfogle stories we can do three mr zaz stories we'll figure it out from there Uh, Plus, of course, everything at the earlier tiers. Then for $25 a month, the Dick Grayson tier, the yes, he's probably the greatest Robin of all time, even if Tim is my favorite. He Uh, was the first, Matt. Come on. Absolutely was and is one of the, you know, tentpole characters of the DC universe. Fair. At $25 a month, not only do you get to pick that story, but you guess to actually come and be a guest on the episode where we discuss your story or theme. So far, we have a Grayson, a Todd, and a Wayne. Come on, folks. We need a Tim Drake. Uh, Just for my heart, we need a Tim Drake. And if we want to come up with further tiers, we might get a Stephanie Brown tier in there. We might get a Carrie Kelly tier in there. Maybe a Duke Thomas. We'll, we're going to figure it out as we go. But that's right. We're, we're hoping that y'all want to come on and help us with hosting and we'll 
buying these books and me filling in some holes in my back issue collection so I can have the print copies and talk about ads and that kind of craziness when I can finally access my collection. Help me move towards funding my comic library so I can access my whole collection. That's going to be a great day someday. Been saying it for eight years now. Going to get there. It's only going to take me a few months to pay off that uh, mentioned Jones trade. <laughs> but you didn't come here to have us hit you up for money and hear me talk about my home improvement projects that I've been saying I would do since I bought this house. Nope. You came here to hear about some, some Batman stories. Some goddamn Batman stories. Yep. So this week, it's time to talk about another ally of Batman. Or maybe another enemy of Batman. Well, Someone with two sides to his character. Let's flip a coin. See how that comes out. Oh, because, oh. yes, it's time for some Two-Face stories. We talked about Two-Face briefly when we talked about Batman Black and White, because there was that really great Bruce Tim Two-Face story in Black and White. But this is our first time we're having stories, whole chunks that are really Harvey Dent based. Harvey Dent. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. He was also in Batman 66, the last episode. Very true. It's our second Two-Face story. And, you know, we could have stopped there at two, but. No, it's Two-Face. You gotta go. <laughs> he, he is one of the great Batman villains. If you haven't heard those episodes or somehow listened to a Batman podcast and unfamiliar with Two-Face, Two-Face is this former district attorney of Gotham, Harvey Dent, an ally of Batman, who after having acid thrown in his face and scarring half of his face, became the duality-obsessed super criminal Two-Face. We are starting tonight with... The first modern Two-Face story. This is Half an Evil from Batman Volume 1, number 234. Written by Denny O'Neill, penciled by Neil Adams, inked by Dick Giordano. No credit on colors, as seems to be the way with this particular era of stories. Lettered by John Costanza, edited by Julia Schwartz. Cover date is August 1971. This is another O'Neill and Adams story. We've covered a few of these so far. In this story, Two-Face does a bunch of weird crimes that all sort of come together. It'll come out in the discussion about how it works out, but trying to describe this story other than Two-Face does a bunch of crimes, that's the, the real baseline here. Just so we cover off the bat, there are two other stories in this issue. One is part of a continuing Robin serial that we might cover when we cover the serial. And one is a reprint. So we'll cover that when we ever get around to the actual issue. Also, it's time for the first of what will be a couple problematic creator watches. Because we've covered a few stories so far that were edited by Julia Schwartz. And we haven't called him out. And we probably should because he is noted sexual harasser. Julia Schwartz. Yeah, this is a guy who came up in the comics and publishing in the 30s and 40s and through the 60s and 70s. So there's some real madman sexual harassment that this guy is known for. Not a good dude. Not a good dude. Now he's a dead not good dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's been dead for, for some time. But This story, this is our third O'Neill and Adams and probably the second of the three great 
best known O'Neill Adams. The other one being the first Rachel Ghoul story and the first being Joker's Five Way Revenge. We'll get to the actual ranking on it at the end of the segment as we normally do. But I think this one, not just based on its issue number, but its quality, falls in between Secret of the Waiting Graves, which we've already done, and Five Way Revenge. It's still got a sort of Silver Age feel to it. Two Faces crimes are pretty big and pretty wacky. Campy, very. Yes, very campy. But there's also still a sense of menace to Two Face that wouldn't have been in a Silver Age story. The story starts with him having his henchmen dressed as clowns steal a hot air balloon from the uh, Gotham Parade, the Janus Hot Dog Company. And this is not the last time in comics where Two-Face will have some sort of Janus, the Two-Face god of beginnings and endings of Roman mythology, connected to him. That That's a motif that Harvey will come back to over and over again. Now, let's lay out the plot. Let's Let's lay it all out. He steals a hot air balloon so he can sink a ship and then later raise the ship so he can steal some secret treasure. Gold doubloons, so coins. That, that's, yeah, it's, it is a needlessly elaborate, silver-agey supervillain plot. Being that this is 71, we're right on the edge of the Silver Age versus the Bronze Age. The Bronze Age usually is considered to begin in 1970. So we're still really right on the heels of the Silver Age. This is Two-Face's first real Bronze Age appearance. He actually hadn't appeared in slightly over 20 years, except for one cameo in 1968, probably because of just how disquieting the Two-Face visual is. And the origin with the acid to the face isn't something that I think would probably fly under the code at the height of the Silver Age. That's a law enforcement officer getting brutally scarred by a criminal. I don't know if the comics code is going to let that one go. That's, that's a good point. And he is pretty gruesome if you, you know, if you draw him right. And that's another thing that's not... It's not good under the code, right? I was struck both in this story and in the next one about how campy Two-Face is, right? Of all of the Bat villains, it seems like he has the most complex, the most, I don't know, sad uh, origin. He would be the, the most interesting character, but in Half and Evil, I mean, he's just... And really, to, to some extent, in the next story, too, there's not much separating him from just any other rogue. Like, we're just out here doing crimes. They just kind of have a zany theme, and there's no real meat to these stories. I agree with you about both stories. This one is early enough in the character's evolution and in the evolution of supervillains, especially DC villains in general. There's not a lot of pathos to... DC villains at this period. Even a lot of Marvel villains are, while there is more pathos to them because Marvel characters of the 
silver into the bronze age were all about that ben Grimm, spider-man and then all of spider-man's rogues are all these people who are put upon by society but a lot of even the marvel League, magneto isn't the magneto that we know now he's a dude who stole missiles and likes to claim a lot so lex luthor doesn't have anything other than being a supervillain. the joker is still a maniac mr freeze doesn't get his sympathetic origin until Batman the Animated Series. And again, this might be the code because the code might not want you to be that sympathetic for these people. That's a good point. Fucking comics code. While we've dealt with a bunch of stories that have been under the code, we haven't really talked about how that might impact some of these stories. And by a lot of the stories that we've talked about in the 80s and 90s, as the, the code is starting to lose its fangs by that point until you get to either 1999, somewhere between 99 and 2001 when the code just goes away. I always point this out because it's so ridiculous when DC finally gave up on the code. It was 2011. 2011. DC finally says we're done. Yeah, I always think that the code went away sooner because it completely became a non-issue. It felt like when Marvel gave up on the code considerably earlier than that, and I'm trying to remember, I feel like that was around 2001, but I you're, might you're right. be wrong. Yeah, I, I pulled up the Wikipedia article. Marvel just says in 2001, okay, we'll just stop submitting our comics for you know approval I, I i have no idea why it took these companies into the 2000s to just figure oh the moral panic regarding comic books is uh, 50 years ago we don't have to worry about this shit anymore you got me companies like image and dark horse had never been or were barely submitting if they ever were so it felt like by the 90s it didn't matter Archie, I think, was the last major company to use the code. But back to back to this story. There is some serious campiness. The thing that got me, probably the campiest thing to me is, okay, so Two-Face has his goons dress up as clowns to infiltrate the parade. Okay, I can see that. And also, once again, never trust a clown in Gotham. Oh, no. Just, just no, no. Don't. It'll end poorly. But then when they're later robbing the museum, they're still dressed as clowns. Why? Why exactly are you guys, do you need to be dressed as clowns to do this part of the scheme? Well, I mean, it just, it just saves time. You, you don't want to change into some other costume. Okay, fair. I will say Neil Adams' art on this in a lot, is, is gorgeous, but he's Neil Adams. I mean, that's sort of, saying not much in this era because Neil Adams' art in this period is all tremendous. His Two-Face is real creepy. There's a panel at the end when you get Two-Face coming out of this wetsuit and you see his a close-up of his face. It's like, Ooh. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but just comparing this to the, the Robin serial that follows, this has been retouched, right? Yes. The, yeah. the coloring on this has definitely been retouched. I think all of the O'Neill and Adams that we've read has had retouched modern colors done on it. And I, again, don't have easy access to dig out my trades because guess what? Those O'Neill and Adams issues, 
not cheap. Getting the originals on them, not cheap. My copy of Five Way Revenge is one of the crown jewels of my collection. The page, though, that I think is probably my favorite has nothing to do with Two-Face. There's a page towards the beginning where we go into Jim Gordon's office and Councilman Arthur Reeves, who's a sort of I recurring... I love that. Yeah, he's a recurring, obnoxious Gotham Councilman character from this period, is in there with Gordon. He's talking about how you know, he'll see Batman one day and he'll give him you know, the Reeves right, and then the Reeves left. And Batman you know, does that appearing out of nowhere thing behind him. This is Maboo. And Reeves books it out in the final panel at the bottom. The look on Gordon's face as he's covering his mouth laughing is a great panel. How expressive Gordon is in that panel is tremendous. Yeah, it's really a great moment. Gave me uh, lots of EPA Ghostbusters administrators guy vibes. Someday, we, for a bonus episode, we'll watch Mask of the Phantasm, where there's the an animated series version of Arthur Reeves, who's a bit more, I don't know what the word is, he's not quite as much of a doofus as this guy is, but he's he does appear in uh, Mask of the Phantasm. I mean, again, the, the splash page for this issue is beautiful, with Batman in a tree in the swamp. The swamp stuff is beautiful. That opening splash is strange in that it appears to not have been retouched like the rest of the story. Huh. Interesting. Or, or it's almost like Batman has been recolored, but the rest of it has not been. Huh. I'm going to have to go and look at that when we're off mic. I, I wish they wouldn't do that recoloring. It, it doesn't. It looks off on these Silver Age stories when they've got these slick modern colors over that Silver Age stuff. I don't feel like they do it as much for Golden Age stories, but for Silver Age stories, they retouch the heck out of them. And it's like, uh. And, and it's weird in, in this issue, like you, you get done with the Batman story, you turn over to Robin and, oh, this is how it's supposed to look. I think it's probably because those O'Neill Adams stories have probably been reprinted in different trades over the years and they've been retouched and recolored. So they were the easiest available files for those stories. And the only place those Robins have ever been reprinted, as far as I know, were in uh, the Showcase Presents Robin, the black and white. So they didn't have recolored versions of them conveniently available. I will say, when we're talking about the silver aginess of this story, the moment that absolutely got me, that just left me like, really? There's a character addressed simply as Billy the Tramp. A, <laughs> I'm sure, houseless gentleman who is deciding to take a nap in a big old inner tube in a cove. Who as does? one does. Yeah! Who does that? I mean, he's there... For the story purpose of the ship that Two-Face has stolen rising up and catching his inner tube on the mast so Batman can be distracted and knocked out from behind like seems to happen in nearly every one of these O'Neill Adams stories Joker did it one of Joker's henchmen did it in Five Way Revenge I'm pretty sure the Muertes did it in Secret of the Waiting Graves Batman gets knocked out a lot in stories in this period 
the uh, the back of the cowl, just not armored. Modern Batman learned that lesson and armored that whole cowl. I do love the Batmobile of this era. It's much more of a normal car, but it's it's sleek, it's sports car-y, it's got some fins and a little bit of a design, but it's not full-on 66 or Golden Age or some of the crazier, almost sci-fi sports car Batmobiles we get in the 80s. It looks like a car you could almost drive if you were willing to drop that kind of money on a Batmobile. And, you know, paint the bat face on the car. Yeah, that too. Batman's deduction of the with the hot air balloon and the ship. Yeah, I guess he is the world's greatest detective because I would not have put two and two together on that one. That one's up there with my favorite moment from second favorite moment from the classic Batman 66 film. The the greatest moment being someday you just can't get rid of a bomb. But <laughs> the moment when the Riddler shoots these skywriting missiles that write two riddles in the air. What's yellow and writes a ballpoint banana? What type of people are always in a hurry? Rushing people, Russians. Well, Robin, what could those two mean together? That a Russian person is going to slip a banana peel and break their neck. Yes, the only conclusion. That is why this story is so closer to that than it is to something like Five Way Revenge. Because yep. the Batman just deducing, ah, he stole that balloon so he could inflate it to raise this at this particular cove that is lower than the rest of the area around Gotham. I don't see A to B to C on that one. But again, I'm not the world's greatest detective as much as I would love to be. And again, if you're just after the gold coins, run on the damn ship, smash the post, grab the coins, grab them. The, the coins smash of, and grab, Harvey. Smash and grab. The coins of Captain By, B-Y-E. Two-Face's obsession with duality is really on show here, much more than it is in modern Two-Face stories. Now, for him, it's, it's often about justice and about balancing the scales, and they take away a lot of the constant references to two that we'll see in this and in the next story a whole lot yeah and in the in the final story it feels really fucking forced yeah they do it a few times in there and every time they do it in that final story it's like we know who he is yeah we got it we got it and they're i mean and the lettering doesn't help there we'll get to it we'll get to it do we have are we there yet are we there yet are we there yet (laughs) do we have anything else for half an evil Oh, I like the, we're talking about the car. I like the, the bit where a Batman just knows, knows to put the car on autopilot and, and send it, send it into the waiting goons. And he says, oh, I've been in this situation too often to do the obvious. Ah, I'm smart. I'm Batman. I mean, hey, it's a very pretty story. It's fun. I mean, oh, yeah. This is a lot of, this is not. I think we've pointed out a lot of the, the flaws and the silver aginess, but those aren't necessarily flaws. That is a, for this story, that is a feature, not a bug. Can't argue with that. Absolutely. Yeah. This is fun, fun Batman comics. And there is nothing wrong with a fun Batman comic. No, sir. But now that we've made those points, I think it's time. Ah, it'd be time to put it on the bar. So. 
we are at a point with our big list where we have 36 whole stories on this list. Number one remains Batman Year One from Batman Volume One, numbers 404 to 407. At number 10, we have Wonder Woman, the Haikatia. At number 18, halfway down, we have The Secret of the Waiting Graves, the first Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams Batman story from Detective 395. At number 20, we have Batman Judge Dredd, Judgment on Gotham. At number 30, we have Robin the Boy Wonder, the first appearance of Dick Grayson from Detective number 38. And at the bottom, we have, yet again and continuing... Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves. Ah, the duty book. (laughs) Yes. This one. First thing I can safely say is it fits somewhere in between Secret of the Waiting Graves and the Joker's Fireway Revenge. So for you listeners at home, that means we're looking between 7 and 18, somewhere in that range. I don't think this is going to crack the top 10. No, I don't think so. Because that would be that would be putting it above Lost Episode, above Little Gotham. Right. Uh, I don't think don't think we can do that. No, I think Lost Episode is is a similar Two Face story in that it has a very similar tone to it. But the Ellison Ween Garcia Lopez, they really hit that story, and that issue, that package, is great. And the resolution in that story is better, too. Yes, absolutely. The Two-Face's crazy Rube Goldberg-y Silver Age plot works a little better than it does in this one. And Lil Gotham is just so friggin' charming. No, and, and really, getting, getting to our, our third story, um, really shares a lot in common with our third story. Yeah, uh, Lil Gotham? Yeah. Yeah. Strangely it, enough. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll we will get there. Anyway, I, I'm I'm really curious to talk about. I I, I don't want to get I don't want to get there too fast, but I'm really curious because that third story and I have a a history that makes me not too impartial, and I, I I'm fighting with that. But Ooh. nonetheless, just because I love it's it's yeah. Um. So, but not beating Little Gotham. Next up is. Batman Brave and the Bold number 20, Home Wreckers, Life on Mars. A fun story, but this story, again, we're first, we have taken into the historical consideration that this is the story that brought Two Face, who since has become one of the, depending on who you ask, he might be Batman's second greatest nemesis. I mean, he's definitely top five. I don't think anybody can argue that, but he's. No. He's definitely top five, probably top three. It's it's him, Joker, and Raish. It's just how you place the three of them. It's a fun story. I, I'm actually tempted to drop it in and make it our new number 13. Right after Little Gotham? Right after Little Gotham. Works for me. Okay, so we are going to insert at our new number 13, Half an Evil. New number 13, and it's episode 13. Isn't that fun? Next up is Faces from Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, numbers 28 to 30. Written and drawn by Matt Wagner, with colors by Steve Olaf, letters by Willie Schubert, and edited by Archie Goodwin and Bill Kaplan. Cover date is March to May of 1992. 
In this story, two years after escaping Arkham and disappearing, Two-Face returns to Gotham, killing plastic surgeons while developing an elaborate plot involving a group of circus performers, an island off the coast of France, and a lawyer. I love Matt Wagner in general. If you have great artist, great artist. And while this might not be the best showcase of his writing, read Grendel, read Mage. Wow. Grendel, Devil by the Deed, the prose with illustration first Grendel story is tremendous. And that first Grendel, Hunter Rose, is the ultimate opposite number to Batman. Someday we will read Batman Grendel, and someday I will write my essay that will probably first be put up on our Patreon about the parallels between Bruce Wayne and Hunter Rose and how they are two characters who are perfect opposites of each other and not in that sort of lazy oh, his parents were criminals who were killed by the police and now He is the height of crime the same way that Batman, whose parents were killed by criminals, is now the height of order. This isn't a Prometheus wrath thing. This is two characters whose lives have these strange parallels and whose personalities and who the people around them all exist in interesting parallel to each other. But we're not here to talk about Grendel right now. We're here to talk about Faces, which is a weird ass story. Oh, it is weird ass. It is it is weird. It is overstuffed. It is got some turns in it that I thought were going to be cringy, but turned out to be kind of affirming. But if you found them to be cringy upon read, I would not blame you. I would not uh, question your judgment. But yeah, lots of shit going on here. Yeah, this is one. It's time for the the first of Matt's at least once, if not twice, an episode. I read this when it came out statements. Yeah, this is one that weirded me the fuck out at the age of 12. Well, yeah, I would think it would, you weirdo. Not as befuddling as Holy Terror (laughs) or as, oh, I don't know if I should be reading this, as Killing Joke. To be a little clearer outside of my brief two-sentence synopsis of the story, Two-Face, during his two years of having disappeared, went and gathered a collection of people who had worked in circus sideshows, people with deformities, people with birth defects, who are now part of his crew. And he's attempting to get this island off the coast of France to give them a place where they won't be laughed at. And there's obviously you get to by the end a lot of projection on Harvey's part here because he's projecting on them his own self-consciousness about his appearance. Which is interesting because that's usually not too much of a beat with Two-Face. He accepts his appearance. His appearance is part of what drives his psychosis. But he's not ever trying to hide the fact that he's Two-Face. And it's it's weird in that some of the people he's like they are reported as kidnapped and some of the people are apparently with him willingly 
And at the end, some of them are like, yeah, let's do this. And other ones are like, oh, I'm not really interested in this. Like I, my life was fine. And like they all can't get together on the same page. It's, it's just some weird notes in there. I like that some of these people are just like, I was, having, I had a family. I had kids. I don't know why I, you know, he threatened to kill me if I didn't come with him. It circumvents the trope of people who are physically not what is considered by society to be attractive are by default evil. It subverts that rather nicely, especially there at the end. But of course, while you have that side plot going, you have the larger, you know, real estate acquisition plot. And you have this real estate agent slash lawyer who is being blackmailed. And then you also have Harvey killing plastic surgeons. And I'm like, it's only three issues, man. You you need to cut out one of those things. Nelson Wren, the lawyer guy, that plot is, A, it's Wagner playing to his love of noirs and femme fatales. And is there at the end, especially to make this point about beauty being in the eye of the beholder and how shallow and superficial people are. And he's a character that you'll see show up in Wagner. Wagner loves to poke at high society. You'll see that again in that Hunter Rose, the Grendel stuff that Hunter Rose is this master assassin who wanders through high society because he's also a best-selling novelist and has this Weasley informant who's this high society guy who gets him all of his his blackmail and his underworld gossip and Wagner loves to poke at that but in this story with everything else going on it feels very okay are we gonna do this or are we gonna go back over to the dead plastic surgeons which pop up and are invariably gruesome saw-esque the the one guy who puts on a mask and it bonds to his face and one guy who takes a pill that causes the methane in his body to build up so when he lights a cigar he explodes yeah i'm gonna need a science check on that and then the one guy who just gets shot by a sniper because Batman needed to be able to catch the sniper to interrogate him. That, that was plot right there. It is interesting that Harvey really believes he's doing the right thing here. He really does believe or thinks that he's really helping these people and doing the right thing. And just his, his methods aren't great. But also he's, again, kidnapping people. And there's a lot of characters who speak in really bad phonetic French accents. Like, oh boy, that's a lot of bad French accents in one story. And, and well, Two-Face- But we can make fun of the French. It's okay. <laughs> and, and let's not forget Two-Face's alter ego that he appears at under a costume that makes him look like the friggin' shadow. I, I, yeah, I know. He is Count Enonce. Countenance. Countenance. Oh, Harvey. But yeah, that uh, that really is a pretty close cut to the to the shadow. Uh, I will say first issue. Uh, what was that? 20, uh, 28. There is a really cool layout with Bruce and the real estate deal where you've got eight panels. Yeah, yeah, that's eight. 
And then it's surrounded by a running track and like all of the story kind of goes together. And I, I thought that was a really clever layout that I don't think I've ever quite seen before. Absolutely. Wagner does tremendous layouts. He always has. His work is so stylish and so designed and works with all sorts of genres. Like This is a crime story. He's done science fiction. He's done fantasy. And I love his sense of space on a page. And he draws pages that have a lot of little panels. He draws gorgeous splash pages and really disturbing. The first issue ends with a two-page spread of Two-Face surrounded by all of the sideshow people. And oh boy. It's creepy. It is intentionally very, very creepy. By the way, Wagner does love the shadow. Wagner has written shadow comics and wrote and drew a Grendel shadow crossover. So that's not a coincidence by this any stretch that Count Enance looks like he's dressed as the shadow. Uh, such a dumb name. Yeah. This is, again, this is not a bad story. It's not great, but... There's Batman does a bunch of detecting. The logical leaps are not as far as we saw in Half and Evil throughout. Batman does some actual deduction, some actual intimidating of a thug. And there is a line in this about saving face. And the title Faces is as much about the masks we wear as the faces that, as in Two-Face. Because the guy selling the island, Duberville, has a secret. And Manon, the femme fatale, has a secret that comes around that shows that Ren is just such a tool. I mean, we knew the guy was a creep, but it's like, oh, you terrible little man. Well, in fairness to him, does he ever reject her when she shows in her quote-unquote true appearance as the sideshow bearded woman. They seem to scramble away from her. That's fair. I just don't ever remember like dialogue to that effect, but I will, I will agree with you that he is, he is a creep then on that, uh, on that note. Uh, but yeah, those were, those were the two things that I thought were going to have some kind of cringy, just sort of unfortunate, resolutions the first with uh what was his name duberville duberville yeah i thought his secret was going to be some kind of trans or trans adjacent thing and it turns out he just has hands growing out of his chest not as not as bad as it could be it's you know it's an absorbed conjoined twin kind of thing and one of those things that i would we're reading this story 20 years later so i would assume that maybe surgical advances have gotten to the point where i was like one would think that surgery would have been able to deal with that. Yeah, they're, they're just blood vessels and nerves. You can you can take care of that stuff. I, I will say the the leaps in science are not as bad as the leaps in the legal process in the next story. But we'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah, I, I thought that had an okay resolution. And with what was her name? Remind me. Manon. Manon. I thought her story was actually pretty empowering in that. 
you know, she, she says how she's had to, to deal with this thing her whole life and society expects her to shave this and it's so painful and all for you lecherous men. And I was like, okay, I'll buy that. That's a, that's a good positive note and resolution. Uh, it's not any kind of sort of shameful direction that I thought it might've been going in. And Ren is clearly in the wrong in that sequence. There's no attempts to justify his reaction to her he's clearly a creep and gets what's coming to him by the end yeah uh, harvey pushes him out of a blimp and there's another blimp in this story if we get one more it'll be time for blimp watch but i don't think blimp we're watch? Quite at blimp watch yet if the shark joker... watch tiger beat blimp watch if if joker is sold a blimp in that third story instead of a plane i mean we have the, the blimps in Zero Year and uh, Super Heavy and Batman the Animated Series. That one, I guess, is probably just something that's just sort of a part of Gotham. Blimps are just sort of, you have to accept that blimps are kind of there. What was the name of it? The, the, the Gotham Zeppelin? Goth Zeppelin? Yes. This one also has a nice looking Batmobile. Wagner draws a really nice Batmobile. Towards the end of the story, I believe, is when we see it. Yeah, it's definitely in the last issue. It's after the Manon reveal. But it's it's that sort of classic golden agey Batmobile. As this is another story set early in Batman's career. He's still wearing the year one-esque costume, which Wagner draws the heck out of. Sure does. It's kind of a cross between the animated series Batmobile and uh, one of the late stage Schumacher Batmobile. One of the ribbed for her pleasure kind of looks. <laughs> And also, if I had hands growing out of my chest, I don't think I would be quite as shamed as uh, Duberville is. I mean, I'm just be like, hey, look at what I can do. You know, I'd, uh, I'd juggle or something, right? He's clearly there to make a point about, again, his own sort of self-loathing and his own views on society. He's not a terribly full character because he's the he's the guy who owns this island. Yeah. Coincidentally, happens to also have a congenital defect that how convenient. Right. And I apologize to anyone out there if I am not using the proper nomenclature. I'm attempting to steer towards what would be the correct nomenclature. And please correct me if I'm wrong so I can be better in the future. But I'm attempting to not say anything that would be considered offensive, but I'm not always sure what is the proper nomenclature currently. Language, always changing. Our attitudes, always trying to get better. I don't think there's a ton more to say about this other than, I mean, we've said it's really pretty. It's really weird. It's a solid story. We will read more Matt Wagner as we go on and when we get to his Batman versus the Mad Monk, Batman versus the Monster Men, Trinity, Batman Grendel, Batman Grendel 2. We have a lot of Wagner in the future, and I'm going to we're going to get to it because I loves me some Matt Wagner. Draws the hell out of a book. Oh, does he ever. Drew one issue of the Tom King run. Huh. I think it's the issue right after Cold Days. I think he draws 54. Huh. Did not remember that. Yeah, just the one-off. Kind of blocked out a lot of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, you were definitely on the downward slope by that point. 
I don't think I have much else to say on this one. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, okay. The most important thing. The most important thing. You can definitely tell this is an older book because if you do it now, you have got to change the sound effect that Harvey's coin makes when it lands in his hand because this book has a lot of faps in it. Fap, 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 fap. Yeah, 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 yeah. Notice that one. <laughs> oh boy, that, uh, that, that, that that chat after dark. Yep, that one goes up there with the legendary Silver Age story of the Joker talking about his boner over and over again. <laughs> we'll get to that one someday. Uh, we will get to the Joker's boner story someday. Uh, the Joker's boner. Yeah, uh, Fap comes up actually a handful of times in this, and uh, yeah, you can't do that no more. So, I think. On that note, <laughs> time to put it on the board. All right. So let's start with where we le- left last time. I don't think this goes above half an even. No, I don't think it goes above super heavy. No, no, I don't. Honestly, I think it also doesn't go above uh, Batman Judge Dread. Yeah, it goes above Holy Terror. Yes. Does it go above Blades, which is a, just a couple issues later in Legends of the Dark Knight? I Bla- think... Okay. Blades is, for whatever qualms I might have with the story, it is a simpler story, much less convoluted. Yeah, it's got two plots that, while they don't dovetail together plot-wise, they kind of dovetail together thematically and... Tim Sale is another artist whose work I love as much as I Wagner and Sale are two of my favorite artists. So I, well, I can't argue that point. So, all right, it's below blades. Is it below overdrive? The Mm. all ages graphic novel about a young car obsessed Bruce Wayne. Again, that is a simpler story. Let's keep going down. All right. Next down is last chance Gotham adventures. Number six. This is where I think we're starting to read. Uh, I'm starting to see Last Chance is a very simple story. This is the dead man story from Gotham Adventures. That is, le- it's not as much of a Batman story. It's much more of a dead man story. I like Rick Burchett's art a lot, but he's not Wagner. I could do 26, I think. Yeah, yeah, because I couldn't have put it below Demons at 28 because the Wagner art here is better than the Tim Murakami. Yeah, I think it, it goes after Overdrive before Last Chance. Let's do it. All right. Faces. Legends of the Dark Knight, numbers 28 to 30 is our new 26. All right. And now into this episode's tentpole, it's definitely longest story. Batman, The Long Halloween. This was published as Batman The Long Halloween, issues 1 to 13, written by Jeff Loeb, penciled by Tim Sale, inked by Tim Sale, colors by Gregory Wright, lettered by Richard Starkings and Comicraft, edited by Archie Goodwin and Chuck Kim. Cover dates are December of 1996 to December of 1997. This story takes place sometime shortly after Batman Year One and follows a year-long murder mystery as Batman... Harvey Dent and Jim Gordon attempt to bring down the crime empire of Carmine, the Roman Falcone, while a mysterious killer calls Holiday kills mobsters on holidays. 
again, right out of the gate, problematic creator watch. Jeff Loeb has been in recent years noted for being somewhat of a racist and kind of a jerk. Just want to call that out right out of the gate. Not approving of Loeb's behavior. I, I own this story in more formats than a lot. I own the floppies. I own the trade. I own the absolute. And I recently found Remaindered, the noir, the black and white reprint in hardcover. Ooh, I bet that's pretty. It is. I found it for a full 13, big old hardcover for seven bucks, Remaindered. I nice. Like, I bought that. That's, that's how I read it this time because I got that recently. I was like, I've read this thing in color half a dozen times. Let me try it in black and white this time. I'm going to treat myself. Yeah. And it looks great because Tim Sale is an artist who his work is very much focused on the characters. His backgrounds are kind of sparse, but his characters are super detailed. Mm -hmm. So in black and white, that line work really stands out. That is a thing that I learned a lot reading Marvel's essentials and DC's showcase presents when they reprinted silver and bronze age books in black and white, certain artists really work in black and white and certain artists don't. And Tim sale works really nicely in black and white because it really showcases his strengths as a draftsman. So this was my first reading of this book. And I got to say, I really enjoyed it. I was, it, it held my attention through, you know, 300 pages. It had me from the, the, the story, the art. I think Dark Knight took some of its very best beats from this book. It absolutely did. Like these guys should have gotten a story credit for Dark Knight. But for me, the thing that took it from, maybe we need to talk about getting a new number one tonight. The thing that took it a couple of notches below that is this ending that just, that just came out of nowhere. That seems disconnected from the rest of the book, the rest of the book being very grounded, very realistic. And then we just get this total swerve at the end. That is just absolute madness in my book. We will get to that because I have a whole thing about that ending. Oh, good. Um, Oh, good. This is not the best Batman story of all time. It might be my favorite. And that probably comes from reading it as it came out. Oh, a murder mystery every month. Nice. Yes. Yes. This was a book that I could not wait for the next issue. Reading it, while it still reads pretty smoothly in trade, it's clearly written as single issues mm-hmm. because there are narrative quirks that pop up in each Carmine, the Roman, the Falcon, untouchable Gotham's untouchable crime Lord is how he's described in every issue and reading that in trade. It's like, okay, I get it. But if you're reading that in single issues, it's a beat and it works, especially when you're reading it that way. The first issue, especially also wears the influence of the Godfather so right on its its sleeve. I mean, the first line. So for those of you who haven't seen The Godfather, yeah, it's an old movie and it's a long movie, but it's a tremendous movie. The Godfather opens at the wedding of the daughter of Don Vito Corleone. And the first spoken dialogue is from a guy who's come to ask Don Corleone a favor on the day of his daughter's wedding. The oh, first you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding. And the first line in the movie is, I believe in America. 
this story begins with Bruce Wayne, I believe, in Gotham City. And the I believe in, insert something here, is another motif through this story. I believe in Harvey Dent. I believe in Jim Gordon. I believe in Batman. I believe in Batman at the end. It is something that follows through this story. And as someone who understands story structure, except for that final twist, the structure of this story is perfect until the last three pages. Yes. Let's do a a fan campaign to to have a new version of Long Halloween that just cuts out the last three pages. Yeah, the last three pages are just... Okay, you know what? We're just going to jump to that right now. Oh, let's do it. Because... It's it's the biggest it's the, the 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 complaint. So after this whole story with Holiday, the Holiday Killer, Holiday committing all these murders, you get what is a satisfactory and logical answer for who Holiday is. The final three pages reveal that the first three Holiday killings were in fact Gilda Dent, uh, Harvey Dent's wife. Oh, uh, uh, was- let, let me lay out this reasoning. Let me lay out the explanation that we get on the page. Glenda says, I thought we could have more time together, Harvey. If I killed all the fucking mobsters in Gotham, I thought we could have more time together. That doesn't make any goddamn sense, Matt. Right. And then she's like, oh, but then I thought you committed that first murder. So now we had our secret together. So there we go. Doesn't make any goddamn sense. I fucking hate it. Yeah. This story was 1996 to 1997. So this makes it a 25-year-old story. Ever since then, for 25 years, every time there's a mystery in the DC universe, I don't care if it's, you know, who is the killer in Identity Crisis, I don't care it's who is the mastermind of this plot or that plot, you know what my answer is at the Gilda end of Dent. whatever the first issue, it's always, it's Gilda Dent. Every time I have come up with weird, who is Hush? Gilda Dent. I I build random crazy theories just for the hell of it for every DC mystery because it's it's always Gilda Dent and it's never Gilda Dent and I'm perfectly happy I don't ever want it to be Gilda Dent it should never be Gilda Dent no (laughs) but I I will say yeah it's just it's like where the hell especially because we had a perfectly reasonable answer for who Holiday is and it, one that works when you go back and have knowing the answer when you read it again, it's like everything with Holiday turning out to be Alberto Falcone, who it turns out to be, it works. It makes perfect sense. He was he was a son left out on uh, left on the outside, and he got resentful and he started killing his family. Bingo. Yeah, I, I buy it. I, it works. But this is that's just a big old pile of nonsense. And I, I hate this idea that we see it most often in wrestling, wrestling swerve culture, where if you are really, really, really surprised by something, that makes it good storytelling. And that is not true. Now, you can't have a surprise that is good storytelling, but just because you're shocked by something doesn't make it a good story beat. That, that's, that's not how storytelling works. The, the M. Night Shyamalan school of storytelling. It, it, no, no. This story is a hundred times better without that three pages. Yes. 
I would absolutely agree. I, I, I was going to come in here ready to have a real discussion on do we got to bump down year one? I get to Gilda and I'm like, well, I don't have to fucking worry about that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. But now going to talk about the great stuff in this. The story. good stuff. Yeah. Because there is so much. First, just because we've heard sales art. We saw Tim Sale in Blades and Tim Sale did some really nice work in Blades. His style has gotten over the course of the intervening two or three, somewhere in that two to three year range is, is a little more expressionistic, a little weirder. His Joker, his Scarecrow, his Mad Hatter are all just a little bit bent from what you'd expect of normal anatomy. Joker is nothing but teeth. Yes, Joker is teeth and more teeth. But he also draws a gorgeous Selina Kyle. He draws very good Batman and Dent and Gordon. The Roman looks excellent. The Roman is so just slick and handsome and commanding. And the scars that that he got from Catwoman in Gear One that are always showcased in in the best shots of him. And all of the other, the the mob characters, Moroni, Sal Moroni, and Sophia, the Roman's daughter. By the way, having read this, do you see the point I made that she should have been the one who was the head of the kid gang in Overdrive instead of Alberto? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Could you imagine? He was the good son. Yeah. Could you imagine if it was her, this big gigantic strapping woman who's beaten the snot out of you know 16 year old bruce wayne and then leading the girl gang that would have made that would have worked so much better the use of calendar man the use of poison ivy all the different villains that this could have felt bloated yes but it all made so much sense and all the villains coming in and out and what two-face builds with the builds words with two faces scheme at the end sale draws a great grundy solomon grundy in there oh so cool and it really makes sense in terms of the evolution of batman and gotham generally for the the costumed rogues to take over you gotta get rid of the mob and it would make sense that they were all on the same page by the end although i will say i love joker's obsession (laughs) with finding out who holiday is because it's like, he, he's like that bratty child where they go to some other kid's birthday party. And it's like, why aren't, it, why isn't everyone talking about me? Why, why is, why are you talking about somebody else? It should be me, 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 me. And I just, I thought that was totally perfect for Joker. Absolutely. Riddler in here has a great moment. And the April Fool's Day issue is Batman and Riddler both trying to figure out who holiday is and it's the two of them just saying theories and riddler has been hired by the roman and i will flat out say at the end when the riddler sophia has riddler's head between her hands and she's starting to squeeze because he's not giving them any answers and he his answer is carmine falcone that was my theory going into that issue and i was so sure i thought the roman was sick of it and wanted out but wanted to clean the slate on his way out 
so I had for the first couple of issues, I thought it was him. I couldn't figure out why he killed Alberto. And then after that issue, and so I was like, oh, OK, so it's not the even though the Riddler said it, I was like, I still wasn't figuring out why he killed Alberto. I had figured out it was Alberto by the end, by the, the reveal. I can't remember where I put the two and two together on, it, but I had thought it was the Roman for quite a while. Uh, uh, the Roman would have been better than Gilda. <laughs> oh, no argument there. <laughs> Anybody except for uh, Barbara, Jim's wife, would have been better. Than... <laughs> Surprise, it was the shadow. The way Harvey is written in this story, and that is, a lot of that is inspired by Batman Annual 14, Eye of the Beholder, which is the post-crisis origin of Two-Face. It doesn't have a, I mean, it doesn't have the Roman in it. It's a much straighter crime story, but that's where Vernon, uh, the sleazy assistant DA who passes the acid onto Maroney is introduced there. His relation to Maroney is in there. They go a lot more into detail. You don't get a lot of detail in this about Harvey and his father. That's only hinted at in one or two pages in here. Yeah, but- he's, uh, he's still crazy. Yeah, uh, that's how we referred him to uh, referred to him as crazy and abusive. The two headed coin. When Harvey's dad would get drunk, he'd take out the coin and he'd tell Harvey, "If it comes up tails, I'm not going to hit you. If it comes up heads, I'm going to hit you." And he only fuck a kid up. Yeah, and he only showed him years later that it was a two headed coin. So that's where the coin came from. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Oh, oh, yeah. Of course, for me, reading this for the first time, it feels a bit like Chekhov's Two-Face. You, when you introduce Harvey Dent, you know inevitably he's going to turn, right? And as soon as I get to the page, and, and my heart kind of dropped, as soon as you get to the page where it's it's Sal Maroney uh, being ready for the courtroom, and I'm like, oh, some shit's about to go down. And this is what I I referred to, I don't know, 45 minutes ago about the legal system you would not have open grand jury testimony and i don't know like he referred to it a couple of times as like sal testifying and then there was like a bruise or a, a grand jury refusing to indict bruce wayne who was already in jail so some of the court proceeding stuff in here was a little sloppy I'm gonna just put that out there and boy howdy I, I could not imagine them going after Bruce Wayne that way because that's a wrongful arrest suit waiting to happen. You arrest Gotham's first son on what is pretty thin evidence. Oh, your, uh, your dad uh, had a relationship with this guy. Uh, that must mean that you got some relationship with this guy, right? There's so much that we, I mean, we haven't even talked about the Poison Ivy taking over Bruce's life for a month and a half we haven't talked about the the scarecrow mad hatter bit i mean those are ancillary to the main plot and all the stuff with the roman and the and there's so many little beats that don't really do anything for plot but do so much for character in this which you can do when you have 13 issues to play with this build world and it makes Harvey so tragic and so heartbreaking that he just wanted to make the city a better place and it just burns him in the end. Literally and and metaphorically. 
Yeah, so we've been talking in uh, the the print edition about Batman '89, and and I, I, you know, in seven years from now when we get to ranking Batman '89, I kind of like that better as an origin story because it 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 more fleshes out kind of his his madness here we just see him played pretty straight with maybe some hints that he's willing to to cross lines that batman wouldn't that gordon wouldn't but and then we we referenced this you know way back when there's a line where batman says he's duality it's like duality obsessed or something like that i'm like no, you don't know that yet. He just started. Yes, he's killed people with a 22, but uh, yeah, come on. That that was really 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 forced. Every time Harvey uses the words second or double, it's bolded in his dialogue. So there's some heavy-handed two-face foreshadowing that you don't need because we all know where this is going. Anytime yeah. you tell a story featuring Harvey Dent, before he becomes Two-Face, you're, you know where this is going and it's just building you up to break your heart. But uh, yeah, I, it's a good story with a shit ending. And I, like I said earlier, I, I really think they should have gotten the story credit for, uh, for Dark Knight because oh. so many of this stuff is there. Like the, the whole idea of a triumvirate, Gordon, Dent, and Batman, that's so important in Dark Knight. You know, you got one of the three who disappears and is assumed dead, and they play it as assumed dead, setting fire to a big old pile of money. Yeah, I mean, none of that is accidental. None of it. No. And again, speaking of style and form, and I, I, I don't know if Loeb and Sale work full script or Marvel style, but all of the holiday killings are two pages a six panel grid and then a splash and that's and in black and white. Yeah. And that's so cinematic that that feels like a movie trick where you're moving along in the movie and then something, the camera shifts and you play a particular scene the same way a recurring motif through a film mm. and Loeb came from Hollywood. So I, I'm thinking that that is probably a full script deal, but I might be wrong. And that might all be sale and whichever way it came, it really works. I mean, I'm just flipping through this in black and white and it is just, it's, it's so good. I love, I just, I love sales art in this, that usually the blank backgrounds would bug me, but, because he's using the blank backgrounds, it draws your eyes to all the character work he does. And he draws such expressive characters that it's like, okay, this feels like a stylistic choice versus I just don't want to draw backgrounds. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is a master craftsman and there's no doubt of that. And he's, by the way, also a tremendously nice guy. I met him at New York Comic Con a bunch of years ago and he was like, Hey, buy his buy anything on my table, any of my like sketchbooks or trades or whatever, and I will give you a quick head sketch as part of the purchase. And I bought a little book he had, and in my big book of my Batman's character sketchbook, 
I've got a scarecrow head by Tim Sale. And nice. It is. Someday I'll take some pictures of some of that stuff and put it up for people to see. Because I have, I think I've got 70 plus sketches from different artists of different Batman characters. I mean, I, I don't, I'm trying to think if there's any main points that we've not touched on here. With a, with a 13 issue story, it's hard. You're not going to hit everything unless we spent the entire hour plus talking about the one story. I liked the uh, the banter between Batman and Catwoman throughout is a lot of fun. And the the juxtaposition between Batman and Catwoman and Bruce and Selina. Gordon and Barbara dealing with their marriage problems after the events of year one. The mob stuff between the Roman and Maroni and the Roman sister, Carla Vitti. It, it, there's just, there's so much that goes on in this story. And uh, everything aside from those last three pages is good. Yeah. Uh, two shots of the head. You ask me, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Love that line. It's just, and it kills me because the clues line up. Everything lines up for it being Alberta. I don't understand why you needed the Gilda reveal. It just doesn't. Mm. I also get a kick out of uh, calendar man and the way that he is just the also ran of also rans in here. He becomes more important when we get to the sequel dark victory, but we'll get to that one probably in the not too distant future. Ooh, and there's uh, there's the new follow-up special they just did. Yes, that was just released that we will probably get to a little further down the line. Maybe when we get to threequels. Huh. Uh, I mean, again, I could talk about this story forever, but I think we've touched on all of the, the major high points. So unless, unless you've got anything else. Time to put it on the board. Oh, boy. Top five. Yes. No arguments there. No arguments there. Okay. It's not number one. Sorry, Gilda. Yep. It's your fault. I don't think I can put it at number two because I think Cold Days hits its emotional beats so well. But I think as much as we both love Red Rain, the art on this is just as good And again, removing those three pages, it is such a solid story with such a strong arc. I think this is our new number three. Sounds good to me. And right now there's some trolls out there that are mad that Dark Knight Returns is now outside of our top five. And I am okay with that. (laughs) Eat shit is what Will says. Whew. Yeah, you hear that, Reddit? Eat a big pile of shit. (laughs) I am glad that this story held up as because I went in being like, oh boy. And this is what I've, I've read this story more than I've read a lot of stories. And it always holds up better than I'm worried it will. But I was like, okay, I'm going to talk to someone who doesn't have the love of this story behind them. I hope that this is not, you know, another one of these, like this isn't another Blades <laughs> but no, this one is 
as good as I remember it being, except for those last three friggin' pages. Ah, uh, goddamn Gilda, fucking everything up. Oh, boy. So that is another episode on the books. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Next week, it's Christmas week. So it's time for three Batman at Christmas stories. Uh, We'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grote, June is Dead, Long Live June. Long Live June. Long Live June. And Joshua Wheel for their support. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at BatChatComics. And the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on ComicsXF. And support our podcast on Patreon, where you can get shout-outs, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. And I promise not to put pictures of my butthole on Patreon. I I will hold him to that. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me at MattLaz1013. And I'm at Will Nevin, where there is no similar butthole promise. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff that Will and I are writing. Thanks for another great night, Will. It was a hoot, as always. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.